0: Well, what a cracking part of the Bible to read together, hey? And the Colombian accent that just makes it pop. (laughs) Awesome, Carolina. Uh, It is so good to be together and to finish up our series that we've been tracking through the last bunch of weeks, Christianity, the best news you have never heard, which has been literally true for some of you. Uh, Some have come along brand new to Jesus, the Bible. This is all brand spanking new. For others, maybe you've heard of it, but this has been a chance to get clearer on what it is actually saying and what it means. For others of you, you've heard it, but it's been a long time. You've walked away from it. You've come back and wanting to press in more. It is so exciting to have so many people here for those reasons, along with a whole bunch of you who have heard this news, who who love this news and never tire of hearing it, that there is a God who cares for you. That your life really matters. That as we looked at last week, bad people can go to heaven. And that's good news for us because we're not the good people we like to think that we are. And last week really pushed into the uniqueness of the Christian message that there is hope even for bad people. And this morning, rounding out with this statement that you can have hope no matter what. You can have hope no matter what. Now here's the thing about hope, it is critical for life, absolutely critical for life. The the belief that there is something better, that there is something more ahead of us, which then fuels and energises us in the present, enables us to keep going, particularly in the midst of hardship, hope is critical for life. Without hope we have despair, or at least a life that is just meh. Now, here's the thing, there are plenty of positive slogans to reach for about hope without opening the Bible. This claim is not a unique claim to the Bible. You would have heard all kinds of forms of things like, it'll just, it'll all work out. There's a whole bunch of memes that you'll find for these things. Everything, it'll just all work out, don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. Uh, There's this one, everything happens for a reason here's the half glass empty second part, usually because life sucks, uh, but, but there's a reason for everything, it'll be okay, don't worry about it. So what makes the Christian hope any different to the positive slogans around the place? My goal this morning is to try and be as clear as I can about how unique the Christian hope is, so what is it? be be clear on what it actually does and means for our life and how you can have it. Christianity actually stands on its own. But let me start with this, a question for you, a personal question. What are your hopes? What are your hopes? What, What are the things that lie ahead in your future that get you out of bed in the morning? that fuel and energize and give you reason to live? Do you have actually a single overarching hope, one big hope that sums up your life? Or do you have what I observe around the community as I look and as I talk with people, instead actually a whole bunch of smaller hopes, smaller hopes that include our weekends. Ah, Friday Arvo's here. Uh, the lifestyle, the leisure that the weekend brings. I was chatting next to a dad on the sporting field last week and he was just hanging out for that round of golf that he was about to go do, whack a little white ball around a park. Oh, it's here. (laughs) Our smaller hopes and more expensive smaller hopes include our homes, uh, to own one for ourselves, to beautify it, to renovate it. Our smaller hopes of our holidays, the countdown. How much longer until I get away? doesn't matter what, camping, whether it's cruising, whether it's overseas. Um, some of you, actually, the hope is so much smaller that you particularly, I look up there with little ones, your hope is just a full night's sleep. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Or maybe if you were at the other end, a night's sleep with only one interruption to go to the toilet, that'd be a great night. <laughs> we end up just kind of breaking life down into much smaller hopes. Why? Because we hope they're achievable. Now there's nothing wrong in and of those hopes necessarily but here's my um, my statement, Uh, I don't know if it resonates with your life, that these smaller hopes that we we have for our lives cannot meet the deepest longings of our heart. This is my contention. Uh, We have all these things but But they just, they don't actually deliver. The longer we live, the more we find that they disappoint. Here's where Christianity and the message of Jesus enters and lifts our gaze to offer a hope that is the biggest, most glorious hope that you can have. A hope that is so big and so glorious that it is secure. You can depend on it, no matter what is happening in the circumstances of your life. It is solid, it is secure. And, this is what makes it unique, it gives reasons for why you can hold to this hope. It actually holds out evidences. And so I could have taken us to any number of parts of the Bible to to unpack the hope of the Christian message, but I've taken us to one of the chapters that is just dripping with hope. It is an amazing part of the Bible written by a man named the Apostle Paul who hadn't always been a follower of Christ but came to know the hope of Christ and so the claim of the Bible is that God has actually spoken to us through human authors such as Paul so that we look at a part of the Bible which is actually God addressing us through him. And I'll pick up something of his human experiences with it as we go. But here's my plan. It's a simple plan to take us in three steps through what is the Christian hope, how does it work, and how can you have it? Okay, let's do that. Firstly, what is the Christian hope according to this part of the Bible? It's there, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, Who have been called according to his purpose. This is a promise that God is giving through this writer. Do you notice it's a promise of good for a person's life? A promise of good, the hope of good, which raises the question well, what is that good? What is the good life? Now, if you got around and asked five Coasties that question, you'll probably get five different answers about what the good life looks like, what their hope is. But notice that last part of the sentence. It introduces God's purpose. Who have been called according to His. That's God's purpose. Have you ever considered that God's purpose for your life, the big hope that He offers, is different to what you have for your life? Have you stopped to ask that question? Is God's purpose, is God's hope the same as what I am living with? This is a really important question to ask. It's one that I was helped to ask in my 20s when I had realised that the great hope that I had grown up, which was playing uh, for Australia in the Australian cricket team, I'd realised that that hope had passed me, and so I had a new hope. It was the new hope of being a rock star. I would jumped into the music industry, I'm playing in a band, and I have this big dream, these big ambitions, and when my band reached the heights of playing for an under-12s netball presentation, (laughs) I figured (laughs) that hope's probably not going to work out either. So I jumped into working in the music industry with rock stars, That's how I'll do it. I'll work in studios and produce music with rock stars. And when I found myself teaching music to a bunch of high school dropouts in TAFE out the back of a (laughs) rimba, I kind of thought, yeah, that hope isn't working out either. Uh, It was about this time that I got engaged to be married to Bree. And I'm trying to make the music industry work. I'm trying to support my habit of music at TAFE. And it's at this point that my future mother-in-law starts putting proper job opportunities in front of me. <laughs> hey, Jez, you want to marry my daughter? Go get a proper job. Um, which I'm super thankful for, Carol, if she picks up on this. And so I went and got myself a proper job. Because I had a new hope now. All these other hopes weren't working out. And it was to be a family man. I was going to have that Aussie dream, I was going to have my own family, I was going to have my own home, I was going to provide for them. That was now my big hope, my big purpose. And it was around this time, it's about 16, 17 years ago, that someone invited me to come along to this church. Maybe you've been invited by someone. And I was helped to ask that question, hey Jez, what's God's purpose for your life? What's God's hope for your life? Is it possible that it's not being a famous sports person, rock star, family man. And I was helped to see that actually God wasn't just interested in supporting and cheering on my own purposes and hopes, that he had a very particular one for me, for you. And it's there, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Here was God's big purpose for me. It had nothing to do with what I did for a job. It had nothing to do with my relationship status. It had nothing to do with my success and it had everything to do with being changed. Do you see that? To be conformed to the image of his son, that's Jesus. I realised that God's big purpose, his hope for me was that I would be changed, made more and more like Jesus. Now you might hear that and if you're very new to this stuff, I I get this, you might go uh, why would I care that that's the big hope for my life? What's the big deal there? I get that. It's a little bit like being told about this delicious frozen white stuff called ice cream having never tasted it. It's only until you put it in your mouth that you go, oh, wow, I see what you're talking about. It's the same with Jesus. And so if you are new, we would just urge you to come and meet him. How do you do that? By opening the pages of this document where we find a man like no other. I dare you. You will never come across any other man, woman, human being like this Jesus. This Jesus who was perfect, a man of perfect love. And so I came to see that God's big hope for me was that I would be changed to be the man that, from, from the man that I am to be more like Jesus, the greatest man, the greatest human, the man of perfect love. Now, don't confuse this, though, with just some moral self-improvement project. That's not God's big hope for me, that I would just become a a better, nicer, more loving person. It's actually bound up with a change of family status. So to become more like Jesus is bound up with a family status change to actually be adopted. That he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn, so, so the head of, the one right up top, among Many brothers and sisters, this Jesus is the almighty, eternal God made flesh. God's one and only son. The promise here, the big goal of God is that there would there would be many who might call Jesus brother. And so, call God their father, which has been the big hope of this chapter. Now, I don't have time to argue this this morning, but what we have been looking at at the last bunch of weeks is that none of us have a birthright to calling God Father. None of us can presume to have a good relationship with God, but all of us instead have actually broken that, rejected God, thrown him off, found ourselves his enemies, not his friends, let alone his family. And so the wonder of the Christian message that we have been unfolding over these last bunch of weeks is that we might have a change of family status, to again know God as Father, to belong to His family, to know Jesus as brother. There's the big hope, nothing to do with what you do in your life, but who you become, who you are, but more. Verse 30, which follows on, has a, a chain of things, and it's it's dense, it's got lots of things, might even raise questions, but let me see if I can tease out. The big point I want to make from it is that God, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, there's this link, there's this chain of events of what God does, which lands with glory. Those that God would glorify. Now this is shorthand speak in the Bible here to refer to heaven. The new creation, the new world that God has promised to make that is healed at its very core. He's made the world once, he's demonstrated he can do it, he's promised that he'll do it again, this time redeemed, never to be busted up by sin again. And so the great hope of The person who understands the Christian message is actually one that lays on the other side of the grave. He's been talking about this just a few verses earlier, verse 23. He says, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Hang on, I thought we could call God Father now, yes we can. But he also says there's a future anticipation, a fullness of that, which is The redemption of our bodies. What he's talking about there is we will die, you will die, we'll all die. That tragedy that laughs and mocks at any of our small hopes, whether we got near them or not, dead. Dead in the ground, never to live again, except for the hope of the resurrection. That in Jesus, God raised him to life as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters who would look to him. So the hope here is that we won't stay dead, that you too, we too might know a resurrection hope, a life beyond. But notice what he goes on to say, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Do you see it? It remains ahead. But if we hope for what we do not yet have... We wait for it patiently. This takes us to something critical about what the Christian hope is. It is otherworldly. It is not found fully and finally in this life, in this world, that is banged up and busted by sin, but rather remains on the other side of the grave, most likely for us, unless the Lord Jesus returns, which he will, to bring in this whole new creation, the fullness of our hope. The Christian hope is to be resurrected from the dead. And when you come face to face with death, either for yourself, among a loved one, this surely is what puts our puny hopes into a puny perspective. That death is the great enemy to be defeated. And the Christian message says it has been, it's been conquered that everything that is dark will be overcome in the Lord Jesus. Now, even if you are tracking with this and willing to admit, well, that sounds nice, an answer to death, a hope beyond, what does it mean for my life as I wait for it patiently? How does this Christian message of hope actually impact my life Here and now? Well, the answer to that starts to fall out as we move to the second step, second question of how does this hope work? And it works because we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. How does it work? Because God works all things, not just happy things but hard things as well, for the good of those who love him. I have four kids who are growing up so quickly, that cliche is so true, isn't it? And they're heading further and further out into the world and beyond my reach, into school, into work. And I am now increasingly aware of my inability to to control things in a way for their good, to, to work things for their good particularly the choices that they make and when relate to that. It's quite a, quite a daunting thing as you go, I can't do this. I don't control them. I don't control the things around them. I long for all things to work for their good, but I can't control them. For this promise to be true means something must be true about God and that is that he rules over every dimension of life. That he is in control over every molecule, every chemical reaction, every moment in history, over every thought and motivation and word and action. For this to be true, if he is to work all things, then he must be in control of all things, do you see? It's what is called to be sovereign, that God is sovereign. There is not a speck of reality that is outside of his control. That has to be true for this promise to be true. And the Bible says that it is, that this is who your God is, sovereignly in control over everything. Now, that raises a couple of questions, at least possibly even objections. The first one's more intellectual. The second one is personal. The first one is, well, if God rules over everything and therefore people, and you said thoughts and actions and attitudes, does that just mean we are puppets on a string? You've got a sovereign God who's got a storyline and he's pulling all the strings and we're just glorified puppets because after all, he needs to be in control of everything. I don't have any responsibility. We're just puppets. We ask the question, well, does God rule over every detail in the world or do I have real responsible choices? And there's the problem. We do this either or thing when the Bible presents the reality of both and that God is in control of everything and you and I make real responsible choices that we'll be held accountable for. And we go, but that's not possible. We protest going, I can't do that. And that's the point. No, you can't because you're not qualified for this job. You're not God. I'm not God. We, we so often get God wrong as we try and imagine him as just a bigger, better version of ourselves. What the Bible is doing, though, is saying, this is your God. God making himself known that he wouldn't otherwise be known unless he did that. And this God says, I am absolutely sovereign and you are responsible. The second question or objection, a more personal one that falls out with, okay, well, if God is in control of the world and every little bit of it, why is it so messed up? Seems to be doing a pretty bad job of it, if you ask me, goes the objection. Now, Here's where the Bible is like no other. And many of you know this and it's just so liberating because the Bible doesn't try and pretend that it's not as bad as it is. It it liberates us to to look at the world, to look at our lives and call out evil for evil. Suffering for suffering, pain for what it is, horrible, hard. In fact, the the Bible even gives voice to to even um, protest. Um, God honouring protest about the pain in the world, um, questions how come Lord, how the Bible doesn't minimise suffering in the world. So when the promise that we're looking at says God works all things for good, doesn't mean that everything in your life in and of itself is necessarily good. Unemployment is not good. Uh, Mental illness is not good. Cancer is not good. Relational breakdown is not Good. It is evidence of a messed up, broken world. What the Bible is saying is that there is no power greater than God, no dimension of life that has got away from him. So that he is able to work all things, even the most evil and hard things, for good. Even if you can't see the good or understand the good, right now. And this is critical. This often stumps us. Um, there are these teeny tiny insects called noceums. They're like a mosquito, but so much smaller because they're so small you can't see them. So they're called noceums. Imagine you own a great dane, a big dog, who has a kennel in the backyard, and you walk past the dog's kennel, and you don't see the dog in the kennel. It is reasonable to conclude that the dog is not in the kennel. The great day. But it's not reasonable, is it, to assume that there are no noceums? Because they're so small that you can't see them. That wouldn't be right to assume and presume that they're not there. Many do this with suffering in God. Many assume that if there was any good reason for the pain in our life, I ought to be able to understand it. I ought to be able to join the dots when this hard thing happened, which oh, I couldn't believe, but it led to that and led to that. And then oh, I can see the good that came of it. Well done, God, keep going. Now, sometimes you you might actually be able to join the dots. So often though, you won't. But just because you can't think, Of a good reason for the presence of pain in your life doesn't mean that there can't be one. It just means that you don't have an imagination as big as God, you don't have the power as big as God to have a good reason for something. Just because we can't see the point of the struggle doesn't mean that there can't be one. It's like the story of the boy and the butterfly. You've probably heard this, that the boy who goes out and he finds a butterfly in its cocoon as it's preparing to hatch and he takes it inside and puts it up on his windowsill because he wants to see the action unroll and and he can see that the wings have started to form and its little legs are kicking, it breaks a little hole in the cocoon and it's fighting, it's struggling and it can't get out because the hole's too small and then all of a sudden it just goes still. And so the boy goes, I oh know, I'll help this thing and he, he starts to tear that little hole open big enough so that the butterfly could be free and come out and the butterfly does come out and goes splat on the floor. Why? Well, it can't flap its wings, it can't fly because it hasn't developed the strength that it was intended to, to build as it was tearing its way out of the cocoon. Just because we can't see a purpose for the struggle doesn't mean that there can't be one and the reason for hope is, hope in the God of the Bible is, this God works all things for the good of those who love him and so this brings us actually to the centre of how this hope works. It's because the Bible offers an outside hope. We looked at this last week, the difference between an inside hope, it's in us, In our abilities, it's in our achievements, our efforts, or it's in us collectively together. Humanity can do it. The Bible says no hope. Our hope is actually in God, outside of ourselves. So that even if you can't draw all the dots to see the good right now, you can have a hope in a good God, a wise God, and a powerful God who does what He promises to do. Works good. Let me show you on the ground example of how the author of these words actually lived it out. I mean, can you imagine writing these words? Here's a promise from God. But this is the Apostle Paul elsewhere who says, uh, he writes about the troubles, we, that's him and his travelling party, but we could say I, about the troubles I experienced in the province of Asia. I was under great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, so that I despaired of life itself. Indeed, I felt I'd received the sentence of death. He doesn't give us the details of what that hardship is, but you're catching his vibe, you catching what's going on for him. It's horrific. Oh, it feels like I'm, I'm staring at death itself. I'm despairing of life itself. But, he says, this happened, that's the hardship, that I, we might not rely on ourselves But on God who raises the dead. Do you see where the the grounds of the hope is? He, that's God, has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He'll deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Here is a man who walked the talk of this promise that we're looking at. That he could see, even if not in all the intricate details, that at least one of the great purposes of hardship was to draw himself away from depending on himself and on God. On God who raised the dead. You know, here's where we come to the reason you can have for holding this hope. He's what sets Christianity apart from any other positive slogan, why well, this is solid, dependable hope. Paul goes on to talk about it in Romans 8 verse 31, where he says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? That is, that God, God is going to work all things for good. What, what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, he knows... People can and will be against us, against him. I mean, Paul eventually lost his head to the sword. But he he goes, if God is in my corner and for me, who would I worry about? He, this is God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The natural way that we tend to think about God's love, does God love me, is we look at our life and if it's going well, if I'm achieving my small hopes, God loves me. If it's not going well and hardship is here and my hopes are disappointed, he loves me not. Oh, but things are then going better again. He he must love me, he has to be for me again. Oh, We, we tend to read God's love for us off our circumstances and the Bible would say that is a huge mistake and instead points us to an objective historical event as a demonstration of God's love for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's what it's talking there about God not sparing his own son but giving him up for us. And again, the staggering thing of who he did that for, not for his friends, not for good people, but for his enemies, for bad people, for those who had wronged him, God gave up his precious son for that lot. That Jesus willingly would pay the debt that we owe by his death. Now, even when you look at this historical event that the Bible points you to as a demonstration of God's love, you can actually see here the supreme example of God working all things, even the most evil things, for good. Because you you read the Gospel accounts, and again, you'll be struck by a man, I I, I put it to you, perfect man, sinless man, innocent man, amazing man, the only man not to have sinned, and yet he finds himself condemned or kicked down the road by six kangaroo courts on the eve of his death. In fact, some of them find him innocent and still kick him on and commit the greatest injustice in history, absolute wickedness, wickedness that... Real men did who are responsible and accountable for, but you then actually read the Bible and see that this event stands at the very centre of God's purposes to save the world, to bring us the hope that we desperately need. Follow the logic of what this means for our hope here and now. If he, that's God, did not spare his own son but gave him up, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If God has done the hardest thing possible in the giving over of his one and only precious son for enemies, why will he not do all the easiest things if he's done the hardest thing? Now, a little trigger warning here in case you have had your house burned down. I didn't do this at 8.30 and someone had had their house burned down. And so this triggered them, but also helped them, they said. Um, imagine your house burns down. Some people don't have to, and they talk about how horrific it is. But your house is on fire. It's consumed with flames. It's, your family is in there. And you get out, you get as many of the kids out, but there's one kid who has been left behind. You can't get in. It's just an inferno. And you're son is left in the burning house. The fire brigade roll up and they start hosing the thing and and you just desperately say, my son, my son, and this fireman charges into the house, into the flames, into the smoke, up to the child, grabs them, gets them out of certain death, saves their life. Family restored, alive, lost everything but have each other. Wow. Wow. A couple of months later, the family's starting to rebuild their life and it's this boy's birthday and he wants to throw a birthday party. But he's a very anxious kid. He's very worried about rejection, shall we? He only wants to invite a small group of people, you know, friends that he's sure will say yes, so he doesn't feel rejected. I don't know if you've experienced this in your homes. And he really wants to invite the fireman to his birthday party. But he's really worried the fireman will say no, reject him, not want to come to his party. And his intuitive mum works out, what's, what's wrong, son? And he tells her, I'm just, I want to invite the fireman, but I'm just worried that he's not going to want to come to my birthday party. And she says, mate, are you serious? The man risked his life for you. He did the hardest thing possible for you. Of course. He's going to want to come to your birthday party. Of course, he's going to want to do the easier thing. Friends, here is the reason the Christian hope stands apart from any other. Because our God is the one that we have hope in who has done for us the hardest thing possible the giving up of his son for us. If he's done that, if he's demonstrated that, of course. He's going to deliver on his promise to give us all things, all the easier things. Do you see how it works? The cross, Jesus' resurrection, victory over death is the centre point that we can turn to as evidence that this hope is real and solid and actually works in our life. So thirdly and finally, how can you have this hope? Very briefly, we've read over it a number of times now, but let me underline it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This hope is not a universal hope for any and every person, no matter what they believe, how they've lived, what religion they've followed, it'll all be okay. God will just work all things for everyone. It is very clear here and right through the Bible that this hope is for a particular group, those who love him those who love him. Now, again, this is shorthand speak. I encourage you to keep you read further around to see what this actually means. This is not meaning really religious people who do the religious things, who try hard to do the God thing, and those people are the ones that God all no, no, no. This is shorthand for the people who have come to know the love of God in the giving of his Son. This group of people is the group who recognise their desperate need for God's mercy and cry out for it, as Richard did. What a wonderful story. That The thing that stood out for him, that that he deserved the punishment, but someone loved him so much and would take it for him. Wow. Now, watch out for part two as well. We've got a story of his wife, which we look forward to showing you as well. This is the kind of person who loves God. Not the good person, but the person who has received the love of God in the person of Jesus. And so, have you done this? I don't know what has brought you along this morning. Well, I suspect I know what has for a bunch of you. You do this every week. But there'll be new faces among us. Why are you here? Maybe you've been driving past the sign this week. And that statement of you can have hope no matter what has has just lit up for you. Your life is in a place where you are desperate for hope. You, you recognise and realise that all your small hopes are failing you and so you've come along to check this out. You can walk away with this hope. You can walk away today having turned to this God and asked him for mercy, put your trust in his son. Look forward to trusting this promise and all the other wonderful promises that you would explore. Over the years, as people have come along to check these things out, I've made an observation that often, not always, but often, it's because there has been something hard and horrible happen in their life. Because after all, if... It feels like you're living the dream if you're achieving all your hopes and you've just, you just keep pushing the small hopes further back so it feels like you're going to achieve them. Why bother with anything else? I've got this. Often, not always, it's when, oh, the reality of the brokenness of this world really strikes and the hopes are shown for what they really are, that people will often come, maybe as you have today, here, like Richard did like his wife Tess did, hear this wonderful message. Did you hear what he said? Best choice I ever made. He's got a whole lot of hard stuff in his life, and he is now able to reflect. Even now he can see how it brought him to the greatest good, the biggest hope. No matter who you are or what is going for you, God offers this to you today. You heard language of predestined and called. What does all that mean? It means someone who has responded to the invitation of God that you're hearing this morning to receive it, to know this hope. I'm going to pause now and actually give us all an opportunity to reflect. Maybe for you, you've been hearing about this the last bunch of weeks or just this morning and you want this hope. Take this time before God to ask for it, just quietly in your heart. Maybe You are wanting to explore it further, not convinced yet, that's fine. Whip out your phone, I give you permission, sign up to the Life Series you've heard us talk about, kicks off Tuesday and a few Wednesdays time to, to push and prod the evidences for this some more. Or maybe you do know this hope, let this be an opportunity to reflect on how that promise is true for you now in any and every circumstance. But let me give us all a moment to reflect as the band will then come up and lead us in a final song, which again is a reflection on all that we've heard. Take a moment now.